This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hey guys, thanks for listening into another episode of Thoughts and Talks with Tishney. All these episodes are available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. So, guys, during the lockdown back in 2020, um, it was assumed that by many that crime rates would be high, like domestic violence and um, robbery and stuff like that. So today we will hear about the crime side of the lockdown by talking to a person who knows exactly what happened. So today, my guest is a Dunedin policeman, Will Black. Thank you so much for joining me, Will. You're welcome. And I know you're busy, so let's get started. So, Will, first of all, how long have you been a policeman for? Uh, I've been in the police for 14 years. That's a long time. Do you enjoy being a policeman? Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. a great, really is a great career. How did you become one? That's a good question. How did I become a police officer? Um, I was at university at the time, and my brother-in-law was in police, and I was looking to what I was going to do with my career, so he suggested, why don't you join police? So yeah. I thought I would, yeah. and then I think three months later I was at the Royal New Zealand Police College as a recruit. So that's kind of the long and the short of it. I guess it was a, a, a mixture of a lot of things, the, um, the physicality of it, but also the intellectual stimulation and the fact that you had, you had a real chance to make a difference uh, within your community. So I think that for me was probably what drove me to, to join police, just really wanting to make a difference. And what about, what's the best thing about being a policeman? I think the best thing is that you do make a difference. Mm. Like there is that ability every day to try to make someone's life just that little bit easier, whether it's a victim that you're dealing with, someone that's been affected by crime, whether it's you know your partner agencies that you're working with and you're working well together, and then you can see the flow-on effect um, for some of our more vulnerable within the community. And tell me, what's the worst thing about being a policeman? I have to think about that one. (laughs) I guess, you know, sometimes um, it's the frustration of thinking that you've affected change and that you've changed um, someone's life course for the better and then to see them regress um, Mm. can be quite frustrating. Mm. But then that's life too, you know. So you fall over, you get back up and you carry on. So, you know, we try really hard to provide that support um, I guess to our people, to our communities, but that can be quite frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah but now let's talk about COVID during the lockdown. How were the crime rates during lockdown? Because everyone thinks, you know, like it would be high, like domestic violence and stuff. So, was that the case, or? So what we it was really interesting that what we found all the modelling that was being done out of government projected that there would be a massive increase um, in crime, that there'd be a huge demand in family harm, in mental health. But Mm -hmm. what we saw over COVID was Mm -hmm. the complete opposite. We saw a real drop in our demand right across, um, I guess, the the criminal offences, family harm, assaults, um, crash, 
mental health, a lot of the demand for services within mental health dropped as well. And why do you think that is? I think that the roads was pretty self-explanatory because yeah. yeah. no one was driving. Yeah. Um, and if they were driving and they didn't have a reasonable excuse, then, you know, they were dealt with mm. accordingly. Mm. You know, we engaged with them. We encouraged them to, to abide by the, the health orders that were in place. Mm. Uh, family harm, I don't know. I, I, I remember a saying um, once that said, in adversity we see ourselves. And I kind of wonder if the adversity of it all the fact that this was a pandemic that really took hold of us globally caused people to take stock and think what was really important. And maybe some of the the pressure of, of work and that day-to-day grind mm. with that gone, mm. people spending time at home, I don't know, maybe life just got simpler. Um, but other than that, there's not really much I can put it down to. Personally, there's probably a, a scientific explanation for it all, but yeah, we definitely did not get the increase that was projected. What about the calls that you got um, about neighbours coming in and like people coming together and everything? Yeah, we certainly had those. Yeah, I had a friend who was doing it and I was just like, I want to call the police, but I yeah. can't. It's like Yeah, we kind of encourage people to do that because, you know, when, you, when you're telling people for the first time in our, you know, in our collective consciousness yeah. that you can't go out. Yeah. You have to stay at home. Yeah. You can only go out to go for a walk in your neighborhood. You know, for a lot of people, that's a huge shift to make. It is, yeah. Um, but I think 99.9% of New Zealanders did that exceptionally well. You know, it was almost a wartime effort for us. Mm. Um, and those that didn't... Did you get called in? Yeah, we, we got called yeah. out to to a number of places, you know, to a few homes mm-hmm. and people that were, you know, weren't abiding by the guidelines... Um, so yeah, we spoke with them. A couple of them, you know, were warned twice. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. Some, some a third time. Some were fined, um, and in places, some of them were arrested. Oh, wow! Yeah. So it got. It, it was a graduated response that we had. Yeah. So we start off by just trying to engage with them, encourage them, educate them, and then from there, we looked at enforcement if that was the best option. Um, in the police force, do you talk about like which city dealt with it better and which city was the worst? Otago, Southland, Otago, Lake Central is definitely the best because that's all my area. (laughs) What's the worst? No, I think, I think across the country we did Mm -hmm. very, very well. You know, you had some really, um, challenging areas like Northland, you know, where they had roadblock blocks set up, um, in and out of the region and then that become politicized and then you had, you know, varying viewpoints in the community as to whether or not roadblocks should be allowed by iwi that become quite controversial. We didn't have that here. Mm-hmm. But in those vulnerable communities where they were really um, protecting their kaumatua and their, you know, um, the older members of their community, you know, they did what they believed was in the best interests of their communities and police supported that. And during that period, what was the most challenging for you? Probably the most challenging for me was family at home worried about whether or not I was going to pick it up because it was just still so unknown. Mm. You know, we were getting told that there were going to be potentially the modelling was that there could be thousands of people who were going to be who were going to die as a result of COVID nineteen. So we, you know, they were drawing comparisons to the Spanish. 
That's influenza right. of 1918 to 1921, where you had over 21 million people die yeah, yeah. Um, from that. So when you start hearing those figures, um, and you know New Zealand was hit hard by yeah. that after World War One, yeah. more people died from the Spanish flu than than from the World War. So you know people remembered that, or they'd learnt about it. It was still a concern for them. So for me, it was the family, um, and then for me as a leader within the New Zealand Police, it was. Um, for our people, you know, the ones that come to work every day and their families were as worried about them as my families were worried about me. Mm. And so it was it was trying to deal with them, trying to help them to find that balance between looking after themselves, their own safety, but the reality of the risk that you face every day as a police officer. Mm. You can't not go into a situation. Uh, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And at times that you're putting yourself deliberately at risk. So mm. it was trying to trying to manage that, keep everyone positive, understanding um, what they were doing, why they were doing it, and just trying to ensure that we had um, every every protective measure in place so that they could go home safely to their families and they weren't bringing in COVID into the home, which did was anyone, a real concern. Did anyone get COVID? No, not down here. We had, we had people that, you know, displayed symptoms that we dealt with, mm-hmm. and then those officers, we... We put them up in an isolation. Well, we had our own kind of isolation facility where we would put them up for two or three or four nights for them to get tested. Then we'd wait for those results to come back before they went back to their family. So we had we had good liaison, good networks with them, their whānau, um, we ensured they got fed uh, while they were in there. And that was that was probably for us the, the high-level response around the safety of our people. Now, let's talk about the aftermath. Is there a higher rate of people wanting to join the police force because it is a essential worker kind of job? Yeah, I haven't got the exact figures, but we had literally thousands of people apply mm. to join police post-COVID. And I would say that that's probably for a lot of reasons. It's um, In part, it will be because of the way that police responded, um, and that would have drawn people to police because of the way, you know, the, the professionalism, the respect, the empathy that they showed to the community. Like-minded people would have thought, hey, this might be a career that I would really enjoy. And then there's the stability of the police and the financial security, mm. whereby people would say, you know, if I'm in the police, I know I've got a job and I've pretty much got a job for as long as I want it, mm. um, which is true. You know, it's a really good place to work. Great yeah. place to work. Yeah. And you told me that APEC, which is the Asia-Pacific Economic Corporation, will be hosted by New Zealand in 2021. What happened to that event? So that's still that's still being hosted, if you like, but that's all being done online, Zoom, okay, in a digital space. So that all the, the leaders and the work that had been put in to hosting that event, it's not going ahead. And and it's in, in the form that it was going ahead pre-COVID last year. So yeah, so that that from a resourcing point of view, that doesn't create any demand on us. You were training for it, right? Yeah. Back in twenty twenty, what happened to the training? Did it just stop? Yeah. 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 So there wasn't there wasn't a need um, yeah. to train because there wasn't a need to for APEC to go ahead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the training stopped for APEC. Yeah. A lot of training had been done for APEC, yeah. so that training adds 
adds to the capability of police anyway. Mm. So it's a, it's a win-win for us really. So what training yeah. did go ahead will benefit, um, and then we just we just kick back into our normal training regime. But in your opinion, if we were to go back to twenty twenty or twenty nineteen, um, what would you do differently, or like, what would the police have done differently in twenty twenty? Before this COVID thing was mm. every every situation you can learn from mm. and and endeavour to improve on. For me, it would be communication mm. with some of our vulnerable communities. So some of them, um, we probably weren't engaged enough with them. Um, some of them we were probably too engaged. They were getting calls from two, three, four different agencies mm. and organisations on a daily basis, which showed a real concern. Mm. But it was probably quite overwhelming. So communication would definitely be a key. It's really hard in retrospect to say what we would do differently because we were planning for worst case scenario, um, which you always do. You plan for the worst and you hope for the best. Uh, we would do that again. Um, for example, if the community um, transmission say arrived in Southern District, then we would we would ensure that the planning that is is in place would be pushed out with a worst-case scenario across it. Mm. And tell me, Will, what was the most accomplished thing you've achieved as a policeman? The most accomplished? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> There's been some really um, standout highlights, I guess. Yeah. But some of them relate to people in the community as well, the relationships that you build. Um, probably some of them would be my niece joining the police. Yeah. Um, that would be not so much my accomplishment, more her accomplishment, but I'm really proud of the fact that um, through me she saw police as being a career that she wanted to be a part of. So I think that's that's quite humbling as well. Mm. Um, other than that, you know, doing getting through the recruitment process, graduating mm. from college, mm. um, you know, promoting to sergeant was, was definitely a real highlight. Mm. Um, and then senior sergeant, inspector, uh, police negotiator. I was a police negotiator for for nine years. What's um, a police negotiator? So they negotiate all um, high-end situations or events um, where you need, for example, hostages taken and you need to negotiate with the person who's taken the other person hostage yeah. um, and deal with that. Uh, so that would be, that would be a, uh, it's been, it was a privilege. And now I'm the AOS commander for Southern District, yeah. uh, which I've been for um, just over two years. Uh, so that's a real privilege and an honour as well. So other than that, I guess going to Kiribati uh, for police on and off for three years, um, that was a definite highlight. Uh, small 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 island nation spread out massively across the pacific but um, the most densely populated place on earth in tarawa and just seeing what you know third world country in the pacific um yeah for me that was that was probably a probably right up there too you know being able to work with that police organization with that community and just looking at what people you know what they don't have but yet they still smile yeah, that was incredibly humbling as well. But that was a that was a highlight. Do you think being a policeman is hard and not for the faint-hearted? Oh, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. Yeah, because everything you do scrutinise. So, 
and you're dealing with people who have got themselves into a situation for whatever reason that if they hadn't been drinking, smoking, mm-hmm. or doing whatever they were doing, they wouldn't mm-hmm. ordinarily put themselves in. So we go into that into that environment, and we're trying to trying to unravel it and try to support, trying to hold the offender to account, trying to wrap support around the victim, but also trying to ensure that the offender gets what they need so that they don't continue on that path. So, you know, one minute you're absolutely hated, and that might last for weeks and months. Um, because of how it was, you know, how that person perceived you dealt with them. So that that can be a real challenge. And then, of course, you're dealing with people in situations where you might have to, you know, use a firearm, you might have to Mm. use a taser, you might have to try to disarm them, um, you know, with empty hand tactics, you might have to use pepper spray. You know, no one likes hurting anyone, but, yeah, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. Tell me, this is... A question that I was been wondering, but um, pepper spray. People in America and stuff, they always carry it around, especially women. Why is it illegal in New Zealand? It's a, it's in New Zealand. The law classifies it as a restricted weapon, mm-hmm. so you can't carry it in New Zealand. It's just it's the law. If you wanted to lobby um, Parliament, yeah. maybe maybe they could change that. But it, currently, it's it's illegal in New Zealand. Yeah. In 2019, at the end of it, the graduations didn't, you know, happen. Can you tell me about that? Because there was a bomb. The end of 2020? Yeah. Yeah, so, end, end, yeah so just, end of 2020. This is 2021. Yeah, yeah. so obviously what was what was publicly um, available threat. was mm-hmm. that someone had threatened to detonate a bomb during graduation. Mm. So Was it true? Turned out to be a hoax. Okay, yeah. Um, but the university took it seriously. Yeah. The police took it seriously and the wider yeah. community community took it seriously. So the university weren't going to take any risk with their students yeah. and police were not going to take any risk with their community. So those graduation, some of them were postponed, some of them were cancelled. Mm. Um, what was incredible was the ingenuity of... Um, of some of those students in the way that they still managed to have their own graduation ceremony. Like you'd see them on George Street. Taking photos. Taking photos, but they'd yeah. have their parents, their close friends, and their brothers and sisters line George Street for about two metres, and then they'd walk past and everyone would clap. Aww. you know, And then they'd walk a little bit further on and then do the same, yeah. um, just to try to recreate some of that tradition yeah. that the university has. So, yeah, I think some of them... You know, from the ones that I spoke with, still had an incredible time. The families did as well, but there was some massive, um, massive cost of families who, you know, one family from Northland spent their entire savings to come down to see one of their children graduate for the first time and the first one from their family, and it mm. didn't go ahead. But you know, they still had a they still had a special time. But um, yeah, it just that wasn't good. This isn't COVID-related, but um, can you tell me about the worst case that you've ever done dealt with as a police officer in the, your 14 years? Of- the worst case? Yeah. I could tell you a range of things from mm-hmm. um, from murder through to um, hostages, hostage situations, through to... In Dunedin? Um, or like... No, nah, not Dunedin. That was right. where I was previously in Wellington. But in right. Dunedin... You know, you've still got like that. That bomb hoax was a big, 
was a big deal yeah. um, for the university. Yeah. We had something similar, which has been through the courts out at the airport. Um, we've had firearms presented, discharged. Um, you know, people that have hurt others, you know, quite badly, including their partners. Um, trying to find them has proved to be a challenge. I, th- I think the worst thing you never want to do again is have to is have to um, is have to go to someone's home, knock on the door, and tell them that their daughter's never going to be coming home again. Mm-hmm. I think every police officer would agree that that is probably the most difficult part of being a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done that on a number of occasions. You know, um, I went to one job where car had flipped. It was an older an older woman in the vehicle. Um, I can remember trying to hold her head together because she was just blood was just pouring out um, and singing to her in Samoan. I know one Samoan song, so I tried to sing to her in Samoan, um, and she died. But then telling her family that she wasn't going to be coming home. That's that would be the hardest because everything else you can you can deal with and you understand that you know this is so, our society is what it is you know by and large we're lucky in New Zealand to be in, in a liberal democracy where people are quite understanding of others um, but the very few that aren't invested you know we we can deal with them because that's that is what it is but yeah some of that other some of those other types of work, yeah, can be um, can be quite difficult, and they stay with you. You never ever forget them. Never forget them. So, from 14 years ago to last year, you, you remember everyone. Mm. Um, seeing how COVID is dealt with all around the world, what are you most grateful for in New Zealand? How we dealt with it, and how the police dealt with it. I remember reading an article and it looked at the differences between New Zealand and, and America. And it said, "What does New Zealand? What do New Zealanders really um, value, mm. and what do Americans value? And Americans mm. really value their freedom. So to, to be told that they can't do this or that, you know, you just can't do that. You know, from gun reform to whether or not you can gather and protest or what what it might have been through COVID. Or but wearing what, a mask. Yeah, yeah, or wearing a mask. <laughs> but in New Zealand, it's you know, what do New Zealanders value, and and what they." What the article said was that they really value fairness, mm. and they went back to World War One, where um, wives and girlfriends whose husbands and boyfriends had gone to war mm-hmm. would provide other, would give other able-bodied men who were still in New Zealand a white feather, and that mm-hmm. was to kind of say, "Hey, this isn't fair. Why didn't you go off to war when my husband did, or my boyfriend did, mm. or my partner?" And so I think that characteristic still runs quite strongly through New Zealanders um, that we. We like fairness, mm. and I think COVID for us, we, I think we did so well because that is a that's a quality or a characteristic that we do value, and so, you know, the government went hard, they went fast, mm. and everyone knew that the same rule, for one, applied to all, and I think that's probably why we did so well and why we still do so well, um, and police, you know, followed the lead of the government. And you know, and it's you know, we've got the least corrupt police force in the world. I believe that we've got the best police force mm. in the world by a country mile, um, and we saw that in COVID. Mm. Yeah. Um, after lockdown was over, what were you most grateful for doing? 
being able to do again? Two things, probably. One, to be able to go out for a meal mm-hmm. um, with family and friends. And two, uh, be able to head over to the West Coast and, um, and see my whanau over there. So those were probably the two highlights for me. Food and family. So, yeah. yeah so. But as a police... As a police officer? Yeah. Um, probably being able to pull all of the teams... Together, together again, again because yeah. what we had done is we'd sent we'd sent a large number of them home mm. so that we had that contingency in place in case we needed to bring them in. We had them scattered all around the city mm. in their bubbles, mm-hmm. um, and so once once we got the okay to do so, to mm. be able to bring them all back in again, yeah, that was um, that was really good. I think everyone just enjoyed each other's company again. Mm. Um, the COVID cases they're not going up right now. But there's been one or two cases. What what if there's another lockdown? What would you do? Well, we've got, in Norton at the moment, we've got yeah. that community case. Yeah. So it's already happened, you know. And when she came out of isolation, she was negative. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, she's tested positive. They believe that it's from the managed isolation facility. The epidemiologists, that's what they're telling us. Um, she's gone and visited 30 different locations since she was released, which sounds like a lot. But if you kind of look at where you go um, on a day-to-day basis, 30 would soon clock up pretty quickly, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, touch wood, there hasn't been a second case as a result of that. Especially in Otago, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're pretty fortunate in the South Island. but. Yeah. But what if if it, if it happened, then we yeah. we would just we'd respond and we'd have to do what we had to do. Which if we had a lockdown, then we'd just ensure that we did what we did last time. We'd make the sure same. that the community was as safe as they could possibly be. That the the experts and those that know what we need to be doing or what we don't need to be doing, that those guidelines um, were being followed to the letter, because mm-hmm. that's what's going to keep us safe. And at the end of the day, you know, every single person in New Zealand belongs to a family. Mm. And they certainly don't want their whānau to get COVID, you know. And I just think the way that we dealt with it, um, you know, no one wanted to lose their grandparents who were, who seemed to be quite susceptible to it, you know. So, you know, we've got a generation of people that, you know, we're committed to ensuring that they live out the rest of their years as well. So we just do what we had to do. If it's go early, go hard, then that's exactly what we do. Um. And for those who are listening who wants to be a policeman or policewoman or, you know, what advice would you give them? I'd probably say, you know, you, you there's very few careers, I think, that would be as rewarding mm-hmm. as policing. So um, I know that in our recruiting pool, they put a hold on it for a while there because I think we had over 3,000 that were in the recruiting pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, people's circumstances change. Police have still got hundreds of new police officers that were promised by the government to get through in the next couple of years. So there are going to be positions that will become available. If it's your heart's desire, don't give up on it. Mm. Um, Particularly, we're looking for uh, Maori, Pacifica, those from our ethnic communities, um, women. To make it more diverse. Yeah, just to get that diversity Mm. of thought more than anything else. Yeah. Um, and to represent the communities in which we live. You know, New Zealand's now got 180 uh, ethnicities and 120 languages in it. So how do we represent that Mm. within the New Zealand police? Mm. Um, We really need to get those 
cultures and languages into New Zealand police. It's only going to grow us and make us even better than what we are now. Yeah. And what kind of characteristics would you say um, makes a good police? Oh, you've got to be, I think, resilient. Mm-hmm. Resilient's always a good word. Um, but I think you've got to be uh, kind. Mm-hmm. Manaki tanga, we say in Māori. Mm-hmm. Um, em- empathetic. Mm-hmm. It's always a good one. Whakaiti, humble. Mm-hmm. Is another good one with a real strength of character. You know, you've got you've got high values. You're an ethical person. Um, you love people, and you really want to make a difference. I think if you can do that, mix it all together, you know, you'll be a real asset. Mm. And those are the questions. So thank you so much, Will. It's been so interesting to listen to you, um, and. I guess thank you for protecting our city. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you again. And thank you guys for listening. And unfortunately, this is the last episode of Thoughts and Talks with Tishni, as it was a mini-series. I just want to thank all my guests for coming in and talking about the experience. So thank you to Kelsey Mee, Irina Eisel, Catherine Dick, Jason Liu, Otto Dove, Isabel Prosser, Renisha Chand, Claire Curran, Darcy Knox, Mayor Aaron Hawkins, Tika Haggerty, Tia Tairoa, Dr. Kumari Fernando Valentine, and of course, um, Will Black. I want to also thank the team at ORFM Dunedin, Domi, Leslie, Jeff, and Jeff. Um, you guys were beyond amazing and your support and encouragement really helped me get through these episodes and I thank you guys so much and thank you guys, the listeners uh, for listening in Um, it honestly makes my day and so it makes me so happy when someone says the show is really good or they enjoyed listening to it but yeah, now it's time to go Uh, and yeah, I. this is the final goodbye. So thank you and goodbye now. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.